0: Awesome. Thank you. Hey, while you're standing, let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Let's just thank God. I don't know about you, but that worship time was just awesome. God's presence is in this place. You may be here and maybe kind of not familiar with the presence of God, but he's here. And if you'll open your heart, he will meet you where you are. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are here in this place, that God your word tells us that you inhabit the praises of your people, that you dwell with us, That as we gather, your word says, where one or two are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so Father God, it's not with a big stretch of our imagination, we know that you are here. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us, would you speak to us through your word, would you touch our hearts, touch our lives, I pray for every need, every area of lack, every area of struggle, every area of brokenness and hurt, we just bring it to you right now, Jesus. And we ask for your intervention. We ask for your breakthrough. We ask for your healing. We ask for miracles. We ask for signs and wonders. God, we ask, Father, that you would provide what seems impossible to provide. God, we pray that you would meet every need more than meeting the need over and above in the name of Jesus Christ. And anybody who agreed with that said, Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Awesome. Grab your seats. I don't know about you, but that, that was awesome. Worship team, you guys were so good. So good. Did such an awesome time. Hey, as Alan said, he kind of took away what I was going to say, which is great. It is an honor to get up here and preach, and I thank you for the opportunity. It is always an honor. Don't take it lightly, getting up and sharing the Word of God, because we know we're accountable to God. As well as you And so, uh, yeah, good luck Yeah, (laughs) But uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Morgan I'm married to Rachel, we've got a couple of kids We've been a part of the church for about four years Almost four years Before that I was a pastor uh, in a church in New Plymouth Um, And before that I was a pastor in another church in Palmerston North Been a part of three movements I was thinking about it this week Three different movements, it's just a different style of hat Still love Jesus to so love the Holy Spirit, and i 'm glad to be a part of this house it 's a blessing to be a part of this this place, but at the moment i 'm in business, yeah, ministry to business that 's where I am, but uh, in construction too. Woohoo what a great industry to be a part of it is we 've decided we 're not partaking in the recession or, uh, or any of the uh, the uh, issues that might be coming around we 've just made that decision <laughs> God willing amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to preach about the All Blacks. It is World Cup year, and I think it's important that we take some time to to just gear ourselves up, to prepare ourselves. Last time, we didn't quite get there. We expect them to win every time, don't we, at our expectation. They look ready for a fight there, don't they, I don't, that image? I, don't, I just realized that they look, yeah. That's great. That's the, that's the All Blacks we want to turn up on the, on the field, isn't it? But okay, I won't be preaching about them, but I'll be using them as an illustration to paint a picture of a journey we are all on. And this journey I've titled, it is from the crowd to a disciple. I want to speak about three main groups, the crowd, the follower, and the disciple. These three groups are not meant to be the only three groups that we go through in our journey of faith, but they are here to help paint the picture of our journey And God's heart for to draw us closer to Him. See God's heart is that we actually are constantly moving nearer to Him. He actually doesn't want us to just stay where we are, He wants us closer to Himself. And that's motivated by love, motivated by His grace, His incredible plan and good purpose for your life. He wants to draw you near. So the first thing is the crowd. There we go. I don't know if you can we flip back just quickly, guys, to that first slide. Uh, I just want to, just for a second, there's the first, there you go. That crowd there is at a Billy Graham crusade at the MCG in Melbourne. And they that still is the record crowd for that stadium to this day. 152,000 people turned up to hear the word of God. Epic, eh? It's absolutely amazing. And so, yeah, anyway, moving on. The crowd. Have you ever been a part of a large crowd? Maybe at a concert or a festival or a sporting event? It is an amazing experience. There is atmosphere. It is intense. People are full of anticipation. It's loud. It is loud. It is exciting. I can think of the, uh, when, when I was young, about 14 years old, we were over in England and my dad took me along to a Premier League soccer match. Tottenham Hotspur versus Leicester City at White Hart Lane, the old home ground of Tottenham Hotspur. And I can just, my memory of this game is not so much what happened on the field, it was the crowd. The crowd did not stop singing from the moment they walked into the ground to the moment they walked out of the ground. And their team didn't even win. But they sang and they chanted the whole game through. And in fact, when their team was on attack, the whole crowd stood up. You know, you talk about our anticipation for the Word of God. They were excited just about the opportunity that their team could score a goal. And I just remember just standing, looking around, and they were rising and falling with every pass, every tackle, you know, yelling at the refs. There was a lot of other stuff being yelled as well. They were English after all. But it was an incredible experience. We love the English, don't we? I can also remember the first time I went to an All Blacks game. I was in 2007. They were playing at the Caketon in Wellington, and it was against the French. We ended up winning 61-10. It's a close game until it kicked off. But uh, a very convincing win. But I don't actually remember, again, much about the actual game. I don't even remember the score. I had to Google to find out what the score was. But what my memory of that game actually came right near the end. Luke McAllister, he was kicking a conversion for a try. And we were right seated right behind the goalposts. And he kicked the ball. And it was flying in the air. And we realized it's coming towards us. We've got this opportunity to catch the ball. And as it got closer, we realized it's coming towards Dad. And so dad was there, and we're like, oh, this is the moment, dad, you get to catch the ball. And he went to catch it, but dad and ball games are not his strength. (laughs) So instead of catching it, he decided to headbutt it. (laughs) And it flew off into the crowd. Now, he wasn't trying to headbutt it. It's called a falcon. He got the ball, struck him in the head, and flew off somewhere into the crowd. That was my memory of that game. I I messaged dad about it this week, and I said, dad, I'm going to... Talk about that. I said, do you remember what happened there? And he says, yes, you won't let me forget. I was like, that's right. But the vast majority of us start our faith journey as a part of a crowd. It's a different kind of crowd to a sporting event or a concert. It's a crowd of people searching for something. Maybe someone invited you to church or to a Christian gathering or meeting. Maybe you came out of curiosity to find out what this Christianity thing is all about. Maybe you had a need in your life and wondered if God could meet your need. Maybe you were desperate, broken, hurting. There are so many individual reasons, and every one of us has a different story of why we came to be a part of the crowd. The cool thing is, is that anyone can be a part of the crowd. You just got to turn up. Crowds came to hear Jesus constantly throughout his ministry time on earth. Many times numbering in the thousands. Can I tell you this morning, being in the crowd is not a bad place to be. In fact, it's a great place to be. It shows you're interested. It shows you're wanting to see or know more. The crowd that came to see Jesus witnessed miracles. Incredible signs and wonders performed by Jesus. They heard this phenomenal message. The message that went on to change the world. They would have traveled to be where Jesus was. It took an effort on the crowd's behalf to be where Jesus was. And there's nothing that compares to being there when something amazing happens. Being a part of the crowd can be exciting. There is an increased atmosphere of expectation. So when Jesus gathered together, I think there's a lot of these artist impressions of everyone sitting down very solemnly reflecting. But I can imagine they would have been rowdy. 5,000 people are not quiet. They would have been thinking, what's he going to do next? What's going to happen next? There was anticipation. But even more than this, and this is kind of the key I want to land on about the crowd, is that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Mark 6, verse 34, it says, When Jesus landed, he was on a boat, and he landed on the shore. He saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, because they were were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus had compassion for the crowd. He was not inconvenienced by the crowd. He did not get angry or frustrated at the crowd. He had grace and love for the crowd because the crowd is people. And the crowd is you and me. You see, Jesus had this incredible ability to see beyond the gathering and see the individual. Jesus always had time for the crowd. Luke 9 verse 11, Jesus was planning a retreat with his disciples, but it says, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Jesus prioritized the crowd over his disciples. Because he understood the needs that were in that crowd. He understood the, the cries, the, the, the desperation that was in that place. And so he was even willing to say, disciples, you are really important to me but this crowd needs me more. Jesus valued every person who was present in the crowd. He saw the need of the individuals that made up that crowd. Jesus is a picture of God's heart for us. He sees through the crowd and he sees you. Isn't that amazing? You know, I was just down there in that worship time and it was like, you guys didn't actually need to be here. I was having my own time with God. And God has that amazing ability to meet with me there, but also meet with you where you are. And he wants to do that. As wonderful as it is to be a part of the crowd, as amazing as it is, as exciting as it is, we can't stay there. We may come to Jesus as a part of the crowd, but we need to move on from the crowd. Staying in the crowd will limit your relationship and experience of Jesus. You see, crowds came and went throughout Jesus' ministry on earth. They did not remain with Jesus. The crowd had no real relationship with Jesus. They knew of him. They heard his teachings. They saw his miracles, but they didn't know him. They didn't spend time with him. They heard and saw the wonderful things, but then they went home again. The other thing about the crowd is that the crowd was very easily swayed for good and for bad. Matthew 21 tells us that a crowd welcomed Jesus as the new king, as he came into Jerusalem. With shouts of praise, they welcomed him in. Then in a short time later, in Matthew 27, the crowd are yelling to Pilate to crucify Jesus. We can't stay with the crowd. The other thing about a crowd is that it can encourage and support their team to succeed, just like at an All Blacks game, we can cheer for them and we can will them succeed, but the crowd watch. They do not participate. Crowds do not decide whether a team wins or not. That is up to the team. And the players on the field. So the next step from the crowd is great as it is to be a part of the crowd and as blessed and ha- as God's grace is over the crowd. But God wants to take us from the crowd and make us a follower. The follower, or I've put down the team behind the team. Isn't that a great shot? 2015. <laughs> Let's do it again, boys. <laughs> but you can see in that shot, there's team, but then there's coaches, there's support staff. But that, e- that doesn't even capture the whole team. There was 51 in the coaching team and support team um, that traveled to the World Cup that year. Plus, on top of that, there was guys there for logistics, guys there for nutrition, physiotherapists, doctors, who traveled with the team. There was a great team behind the team. So when I use the term follower, I'm talking about the team behind the team. Jesus had a group of Followers. And I use the word follower to describe the group that traveled with Jesus during his ministry time on earth. The exact number of Jesus followers is not 100% clear in the Bible. However, Acts 1 verse 15 tells us, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Now that number fluctuates throughout the gospels. You know why? Because some came and some left. Some came and they embraced it and they were all in. Others came and wrestled and found it difficult and thought, I can't quite stay here. Followers were not the crowd, followers were individuals who had chosen to follow and be where Jesus was. The followers saw Jesus much more than the crowd did, the followers supported Jesus in his ministry. They were the ones that were sourcing food, places to stay, doing their best to help Jesus in his mission and purpose. How cool is that, that we get to help Jesus? Like, just for a second, think about that. We get to help God achieve his mission and purpose for this world. That's actually ridiculous. Would you trust you with that mission? I wouldn't, you know. Not you, I wouldn't, me, you know. But God does. The other thing I love about the followers is that they watched his greatest sermon, the way he lived his life. They saw him when the crowds weren't there. And that still, they still gave their whole lives to him. Anyone could follow Jesus. The invitation was for all. A follower is someone who sees the importance of being a part of God's church, as well as building God's kingdom in their sphere or arena of life. Followers serve. Followers encourage. They support others in their journey with Christ. They help the crowd. They help other followers. And they get to support Jesus in what he is doing. There were far fewer followers than those who came in the crowds. And part of this reason is because there's a cost to being a follower. You see, following Jesus means that you leave stuff behind. They left behind jobs, family, family. They had to sacrifice their own plans to follow Jesus. The follower went where Jesus went, slept where he slept, ate where he ate. Can I also say that following Jesus is not running away from your life or your lifestyle. It is running to Jesus to be where he is. You don't follow Jesus to get away from stuff. You follow Jesus to be where he is. You cannot sustain following Jesus if you're just running away from something. It's not going to sustain you in your walk and your faith journey. We need to be chasing after him and all the fullness of what he has for us. Following Jesus is a privilege. I mean, like I said before, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be up here sharing the word of God, being able to do this. But it would have been a privilege for those followers to be there serving Jesus. Imagine being the one like Jesus's chef. sounds very like high-rollery, doesn't it? But I mean, what do you mean? But the person cooking the food for Jesus. What an incredible thing. Being a part of what God is doing is an honor. How amazing that God would choose to use us with all our failings, all our inadequacies. But there is a next step. The next step from follower is disciple. The chosen disciple or apostles or, to bring the All Blacks reference back, the team on the field. See the crowd come to watch, the followers prepare the team, but ultimately the team are on the field performing, doing their best to win the game. The All Blacks coach chooses his team. A chosen All Black needs to perform on the highest level of rugby competition in the world. They are expected not only to be the best that they can be in their position, but to carry themselves in a way that sets an example to not only their team, but the country they represent. They are more than rugby players. They are expected to be positive examples and role models. Listen to this. A Herald writer, Gregor Paul, writes this about Coach Steve Hansen, who was the coach of the All Blacks in 2015. He says, One of the key virtues Hansen has instilled in his players is gratitude. How amazing is that? It's like he knew Jesus or something. To respect and cherish the opportunity they had been given. And to feel that the players need to know the scale of privilege they have been afforded. It wasn't a right, it was a privilege. At that level, that's the culture that they're setting. Do we carry that same culture? That's where it gets challenging. Do we have that same sense of like, this is a phenomenal privilege? To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a, one, someone who chooses to follow Jesus and to draw near to him is a privilege. It is not something that we make fit around our lives, we fit into Jesus' life. I can remember when I was uh, younger, a lot younger actually, I was younger, fitter, skinny, all those things, and uh, I did a bit of running. And one of my areas of running that I did the best at was mountain running. And I managed to get selected to run for New Zealand at the World Champs when I was about 18 or 19 years old. Got to go to Austria, run against the best in the world, running up the Swiss Alps. As you would imagine, it was very hard, very difficult. But the amazing thing that's always struck me about this, and it's always struck me about God, is that I was selected. I got the call by the selector to say, you've been chosen in the team, but I had a choice to be chosen. You see, Jesus chooses you. But do you choose to be chosen? It's all good for God to come and say, I choose you. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. And we're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But are you going to choose to be chosen? Are you going to choose to position your life in a way that is chosen? You see, this it's different. Because I knew that when I accepted that, 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 uh, that, that um, opportunity to go and represent New Zealand, that came with the expectation, i got to train harder. We had to actually fund majority of our trip. was Athletics New Zealand. They have no money. But anyway, it's a side note. But we had to fund a lot of the trip. We had to prepare for months leading up to this championship. You're going against the best in the world. You want to bring your best. So when you choose to be chosen, it's not like, oh, great, I've made it. It's actually, wow, I've got work to do. You see, when they get into the All Black Squad, the work starts to rise to, to reach that level. Jesus, in the same way, he chose 12 disciples, his players, if you will. Luke 6, it tells us that he chose Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. That's a really unfortunate bracket to have about your life, isn't it? But you know, it's amazing. Jesus still chose him. He was still part of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. To be chosen by Jesus as he began his ministry, these disciples would carry on Jesus' ministry when he left. These were the ones that Jesus was preparing. They were the closest group of all the followers Jesus had. They were chosen by Jesus as the ones he would invest the most of himself into. Jesus knew he had a set time on earth to achieve what God sent him to do. He was strategic in choosing this small group as his disciples. I always think if Jesus chose 12 Morgan don't think you can take on any more. You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying is that Jesus chose 12 people. So let's not get beyond ourselves. If Jesus chose 12 then I'm probably thinking man I'll be lucky to do one Jesus, you know. He chose 12 to invest himself into. It is an honor to be chosen, but it also carries the expectation. This is not something to be taken lightly or considered the easy path. Discipleship requires devotion to Jesus above yourself. But again, discipleship is available for us all. John 8, verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a great verse. Disciple does not mean pastor, it does not mean missionary. It does not mean some church-specific role. Being a disciple is stepping up and becoming who God has called you to be. In the many spheres and arenas of life, there are business people called by God to be disciples in their business place. There are athletes who are called to do the same. There are people who will be called to go on mission, who will be called to be pastors in churches, but don't box it into that because Jesus didn't. Your call will be different to mine. It is unique to you. God has it handcrafted for your life, your giftings, your abilities, your talents. And you know what? Even your experiences, your journey, your failings, your inadequacies, he actually has a purpose for your life. Even though you might feel like, ah, I've done this, I'm disqualified. Jesus says, I didn't disqualify you. But God, you don't realize how bad I am. He said, like, yes, I do. In fact, I knew before you were born what you would do. And I still went to the cross. It's like, that messes with my thinking. He died for me before I was even born. He gave his life. He shed his blood because he knew that I would stumble. So that excuse needs to get pushed aside. We need to embrace the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and get up and keep moving. The cost of being a disciple, there is a cost. Luke 9, to 24, Jesus speaking. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Discipleship is not the easy path. In life, I've discovered that Anything worth having will cost us something. Anything worth real value will cost us something. The cost we are prepared to pay shows the value we place on it. Do we value being a disciple enough to pay the cost? It's getting very serious, I realize that. But I kind of feel like there is a price. And it comes down to a decision within each of us, do I value it enough? But not only does Jesus call us to be his disciples, he then calls us to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In order to call others to discipleship, we first need to know what it is for ourselves. We can't call others to follow something that we don't know how to follow ourselves. So there is a constant journey that we're all on. When I was preparing this message, I, I thought to myself, you know, you've you got the crowd over here and you got got the disciples over here and you've got this massive continuum. And I don't know about you, but I've found in my life, there are times where I feel like more like a disciple and other times I feel more like a follower. Because there are seasons and there are things that come and go in life. And as long as we are constantly pursuing to go get closer to Jesus, I think the grace of God's enough. I think God can handle the times where we feel like, God, this, this is really difficult for me. I need to take a step back. I think God can handle that. I don't think he disqualifies us or kicks us out and says, well, that's it. Sorry, not losing you. I'm going on to the next person. I think actually his grace is sufficient. I think his grace is enough to actually say, I can stay with you in this place, but no, I'm going to take you forward again because I want you to come closer to me. So for every one of us in this place, you may think you're on this, this continuum at some, some place along it. The encouraging thing is, is that we can still keep moving. There is another step for us to take. From the disciples, and this is a little thing I wanted to add on. as a bit of a, a bonus point, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> From the disciples, Jesus had three close disciples, the chosen three. And when it comes to the All Blacks, I, I look at All Blacks. I look at these three as the captain, the captain or the co-captains or the key team leaders. In any All Black team, in All Black unit, there is the captain, but there's also these key leaders who are responsible for different parts. Of the game it is a privilege and an honor to be chosen as an all-black captain but it is also the role that demands more from the player than just playing their team position ultimately they are the one blamed if we don't win them and the coach how true is that in New Zealand but here's the thing the coach cannot lead the team on the field the captain is responsible for leadership of the team on the field or the court or the sphere, whatever it is. They are the ones who make the big decisions. They are the only ones on that field that can actually ask questions of the referee. It's actually a really significant disposition to be in. In the All Blacks culture, there's a value that they have. It's called sweep the sheds. Basically what it means is you never, never be too big to do the small things that need to be done. Rugby is a team sport, and everyone needs to contribute on and off the field. Richie McCaw might be considered a legend of the game, but he and the other well-known names are just one of the boys who clean the sheds. I've heard stories about after the game, how the captain and the team leaders, when all the players had celebrated and they were changed and they were heading home, the captains would stay and clean the changing room. You see, a captain carries a different spirit. And Jesus chose three guys that would be his closest confidants. Peter, James, and John. They were among the earliest of the disciples that had been with Jesus the longest. These three men were present with Jesus during special events, witnessing the transfiguration in Mark 9, witnessing Jesus raise Lazarus' daughter from the dead in Luke 8, and accompanying him while he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew. These three witnessed Jesus' greatest moments of glory and his darkest trials. Peter, James, and John were closer to Jesus than any other person. Jesus is always trying to pull us closer to him. So as we come to kind of land this message this morning, we're all at different stages in our journey with Jesus. This morning, you may feel as though you're a part of the crowd. That's awesome. What a great place to be. What an awesome place to be. You are an exciting place to see amazing things. Lives being changed, miracles happening, and so much more. You've chosen to be here. You may not feel like it, but you've taken a step of faith by simply turning up. But is it a time you became a follower? I believe Jesus. Yeah, Whoa, that was sick. that was perfectly timed. Whoever did that? Yeah, that's the key point right there some of you will remember that because of that. Is it time for you to become a follower? Is it time to move from the crowd to become a follower? As great as it is with the crowd, Jesus is saying, I want to know you more. I want you to step away from the crowd and I want you to come closer to me. You may feel as though you are a follower. Awesome. What a great place to be. You are choosing to be closer to other believers, closer to Jesus, growing to know him more and more. You are a part of supporting Jesus and his mission to bring hope to this world. You are serving both God and his people. But do you feel a call to be a disciple? As wonderful it is to be a follower, Jesus is calling you to discipleship. You may feel as though you are a disciple. Awesome. What a great place to be. Discipleship is a significant decision to choose more of God and less of this world, to devote your life to serving God. This is no small thing. What an honor to be chosen and to be drawn into God's plan and purposes. Now go and make some disciples. Again, whether you're in the crowd or whether you feel like a disciple, awesome. You're in a great place, but there's another step there is another step to take. And for you, where you're at right now, only you know what that is. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you are. I don't know where you stand in this continuum. But my encouragement, my, I guess, stirring about this whole message is that Jesus has more. That God hasn't finished with you. Can I just say to the older ones, don't write yourself off. Because God doesn't. Like He really doesn't. You may feel like, oh, I'm not sure what I should do. God, I'm not sure how I can be a part of things. Well, just, just take a step. Just be willing. For those young ones here, you may be like, ah, we don't even know what's going to happen. I'm not sure what my life holds. Awesome. It's exciting, but get Jesus a part of it. Because he'll show you who and what he's called you to be. For some of us here today as well, you will be sitting there thinking, oh, this is really new to me. I'm kind of just coming along and figuring out what this Christianity thing is all about. Awesome. Glad you're here. So good that you're here. But can I just say to you that Jesus wants you to know him more than just here. He wants you to know him here. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be a part of your world. He wants to walk with you every day. That challenge you're going through, he wants to be a part of that challenge. That triumph, he wants to be a part of that triumph. He wants a relationship with you. In Acts two, verse thirty-eight to thirty-nine, you know, we're just talking about those three disciples, Peter. Peter, one of those chosen three, the first sermon he ever preached was in Acts chapter two, just after the day of Pentecost. And it's going to read a couple of verses of what he said. It says Peter replied, "Repent." He's talking to this crowd of people. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for whom the Lord will call. It's a pretty good first message, eh? He's putting out this great invitation because he's walked it. Because he got chosen from obscurity and is now standing there saying, hey, choose Jesus. Because I know, I know it works. So if you are here this morning and you may not know Jesus, we're going to pray a prayer in a few moments. And if you want to join with us and pray that prayer to Jesus, we believe that you're going to start a journey with God. And you've got a whole lot of people here who want to support you and back you up in that journey who want to encourage, who want to support, who want to do everything we can to help you because we've all been there. We all started there. Hey, we did, hey. Half of you are like, you, we did, hey. We all started there, hey. Like, just making sure, eh? Hey. Like, am I in the right place? We all started somewhere and we all needed somebody, someone to get alongside us, help us, walk with us, so why don't we just close our eyes, like Pastor Alan said, it's to distract, to block out the distractions of the natural so we can focus in on, our, on the Spirit. If you are here today in this place and you want to pray this prayer, all you have to do is just say these words with me. We're all going to say it together so you don't feel awkward. I'm going to say a line and then you say a line and we're going to pray this prayer together. So join with me. Lord Jesus, all right, it's a good warm-up. Let's pray like we mean it, eh? Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Take complete control of my life and help me to walk in your footsteps. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and answering my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Yeah, it's cool. Can you stand with me? The team's going to play that Holy Spirit music in the background, but let's stand together and we're just going to pray. Just as we bring this message to a close, I just want us to all just take a time, a moment to just pause where we are, where you're at in your walk with God. Maybe something's landed in your spirit today. Maybe something's stirred in your heart. And we're just going to pray and take a few moments to just uh, allow God to touch that area, to speak to us. And maybe it's time for you to maybe make some decisions as well, some choices to take that next step. So Father God, we thank you, Lord, that God, you are constantly drawing us closer to yourself. Father God, we ask that you would help us. Help us to take that next step. God, I pray for those here today who feel like they are part of the crowd. Lord, I ask you to help them to become followers. For those followers to become disciples. For those disciples to draw even closer to you. Father God, we don't want to get complacent. We don't want to get satisfied. We don't want to put our feet up and think oh, I've made it. Because there is a world broken right outside these doors, full of lost people looking desperately for something to believe in. And Jesus, we know that you are the hope of all hopes, the name above all names. So, God, I pray for your church this morning that you would help every single one of us to take that next step of faith, to draw near to you, to draw closer to become all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.